Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Cloud Unfiltered. I'm your hostess, Nikki Acosta. I've got Belle here. Say hi, Belle. Hi. And because we have so many guests that want to join, and I'm busy and Belle's busy, we have Allie here, too, who's going to start helping out with the podcast. Say hi, Allie. Hello. And one of my favorite guests to have on the podcast because he broadcasts in HD, he brings his own lighting equipment, he has an amazing microphone, and he's just an all-around super awesome guy, Joe Arnold from SwissStack. Hello. Thanks hey, Joe. Hi. Mm. Sorry. I'm sure everybody's applauding in the car as they're listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. Well, thanks for being on today, Joe. We really appreciate you joining. I know that you have been on previous podcasts with Nikki uh, a number of times. And so we're going to try not to uh, cover the, the questions you guys have covered before. But for folks who aren't familiar with you or with SwiftStack, can you give us a quick rundown yeah, on I mean, uh, who you are, what your company does? Um, we'll get into deeper questions about what's currently going on with SwiftStack, but just a high-level summary. To yeah, like last time Nikki was interrogating me about my past, and I don't, really don't want to incriminate myself again. Um, so, well, my, let's say my background. I'll, I'll start with... Actually, I was doing uh, doing some work uh, at a company called Engine Yard, and they were one of the... the Actually, Amazon was one of those early investors in this this uh, this company, and we built back in 2008 one of the early platform as a service on top of Amazon. And I thought this was great because we were like building these, deploying these applications for for customers, and we had this really kind of special privilege. We actually took trips up to Seattle. They're like, "Hey, we're doing this thing called EC2. It's coming out of beta." We're like, "Great, we're going to deploy a bunch of our customers' applications on this." And then we started building things like database failover, load balancers, email tools, things like that. And they kept calling us up. Hey, what do you think about, uh, how, do, how are they using it? How do you think that customers are going to want to use this? What other services are people looking for? Meanwhile, we're building all this stuff. And then they would start releasing like the same type of products. Or they'd form a team around some of the stuff that we were building. Mm. And or I'm like, OK, OK, this is the kind of business that's going on. And it was really funny because we felt like, man, they were just eating the children of this ecosystem that they were building <laughs> instead of like <laughs> adopting and co-oping and folding us in. And that really just got me thinking more and more about options, about what kind of infrastructure options people need to have while they're building out their, their infrastructure. And you know, those type of chains of events started uh, leading to be what uh, leading me towards uh, building SwiftStack and starting that up, and uh, we're ultimately we're focused on uh, storage and uh, and data and managing data. Um, and uh, we start our background was started with uh, a project called OpenStack Swift, which is predominantly op uh, an object storage with uh, S3 and, and and the Swift APIs. And now we're branching out more into um, how do you do multi-cloud data management? How do you have file access and object access for data? And solving uh, those types of problems for customers. Wow. So so how close is it to now to the uh, OpenStack Swift project? Has it completely diverged from it now, or is it? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, we absolutely are totally 100% vested in using OpenStack Swift. We're the largest contributor to that project. Um, we have developers that are working on that day to day. So that's definitely something we're absolutely still um, involved with. But what's happened is that we've actually we've grown away around that. And we've used it as a uh, an engine into our product rather than just being the thing itself. So we 
we've actually uh, are, 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 have introduced a couple of more projects that we've folded into our, pro into our product offering. Um, one is called uh, CloudSync, which does multi-cloud data management, which means that uh, you can synchronize data, move data, have access to data that's on-premise or in the public cloud and really treats it as a single uh, namespace. It makes it really easy so when you're picking up and moving applications from uh, from on-premises to one public cloud or from one public cloud to another public cloud, it makes it easy to move. So, I mean, I kind of think of like how, you know, containers have made uh, moving uh, moving applications and uh, around from different clouds really easily. Uh, we're trying to do the same thing uh, with data. A very multi-cloud friendly data story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and I heard you touch, I heard you mention multi-cloud and that's, that's something, you know, Cisco's very focused on as well right now. So can you expand a little bit more on that? Like why has that become more important? And, I, and as I mentioned, even in our, our pre-show call, uh, I, I'm hearing different language around you know, storage now. You're not just talking about object storage. You're talking about hybrid cloud storage. Why is that? Yeah, well, I, okay. well like you or I can, we can, like when we're doing uh, documents or even this podcast, right, that the, video, the data files are relatively small. We can use a service like a, a Dropbox or a Box or something like that to move uh, data from our laptops up to, uh, you know, to to a cloud service, um, but when you're when you're working with 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 companies that are doing things like large scale video production or gaming or uh, or life sciences or enterprises with these large assets, um, you're suddenly you're talking about terabytes and and petabytes of data, and it's just not s sufficient to be able to just move. You can't just move them around. The infrastructure has to move it around, and so. Uh, what, what CloudSync does is it makes it so that that whole infrastructure can um, connect and, uh, and move all the data where it needs to be depending on the application. And that's really what's different about what CloudSync does as opposed to just a, um, a, a client software, a tool that moves data from one place to another. So, so in the past, you know, people would have, you know, these, these huge storage arrays very expensive storage arrays, and they would, you know, invest a lot of money and care and feeding into these arrays, and they might do some kind of, you know, block level, you know, synchronization. Uh, are people still doing that? Well, I mean, it's think of think of it this way: you have, you, you know, you're going like a what the filer did is what you're describing. You have this direct attached storage where, uh, and the filer came along and it moved that data from just being on the network to being. Uh, sorry, being directly attached storage to being on the network. And that's what the filer did. And what we're doing is we're taking the data that exists in, in the network, in the filers now, and we're moving that to the cloud. So it's sort of like the filer for what you need for, for cloud applications. And, um, and so there's just a whole new set of, 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 of strategies that you need to do in order to make that work. So say, for example, um, I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm doing some some video processing, and I have a whole bunch of data that I need to process. I have cameras that are generating, say, ten terabytes of day on a on a project that that are being worked on. But through that process, I need to be doing things like generating um, dailies. I need to be transcoding that. I need to be processing that. I may not have all that computational power that is on premises in order to be able to accomplish that. How do I get that data, or how to get access to that data up in these public clouds um, where I can do those types of processing and then get the data where it needs to be for the next stage in the process. So it's just ma managing and being able to deal with the bulk of data and being able to move, move it around. It, it used to be, it seems like people were 
reluctant to store things in public cloud because it wasn't safe or, you know, there was some kind of, you know, inherent or perceived security risk or, you know, any number of one of reasons. Uh, I've definitely seen that change over time. And I'm pretty sure that you interface with customers who have pretty sensitive data. Uh, what, what seems to be the sentiment about moving data to a public cloud? Are people still doing it? Are they, are they getting more comfortable with it? Is it pretty much mainstream at this point? Well, I mean, if you look at what they're what the public clouds are doing, it, they, man, they're, what they are is they're kind of like a new operating system, if you will. And there's so much features that you have available in these public clouds that people are working through those security issues and or, or, or and and figuring out how to deal with that and how to manage that. Um, and you know, you know, back in my days building out applications that were targeting a particular cloud. In this case, it was Amazon. Um, what you were doing is you're really building an application for that environment, you know. And 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 right now, those public clouds aren't just I don't know, dumb VM runners, if you will. They are actually, you know, they have all these different services, and not just at the infrastructure layer, like message queues and databases and things like that, although they are starting to differentiate on those. But what we're kind of seeing now is you, you start to see some of the other uh, public cloud vendors, like a Google, like a, a, like a, a Microsoft Azure, they're, and even Amazon still, they're really popping out with these really unique services. And that's, that's gonna, being able to move the data or have access to the data where some of those unique services are is going to be a tough problem for people to overcome. Because you might even have part of your data on premises, you might have part of your data on in, in Amazon, but then you're going to go, whoa, I really want to use this scientific workbook that exists in Google, and it's like a pretty valuable feature. How am I going to get my data there? Or how am I going to get access to the data there? So um, um, people are figuring out how to deal with those issues and managing that and are going to have to figure out a way to to deal with with, with the data movement. Man, I, I love the way that you say it's like an operating system. I mean, it absolutely is. Uh, it's almost like their new development environment. You know, when we had Windows and we were doing C Sharp applications on it and they provided the studio and everything. I mean, that was your development environment and now it's the public cloud or, or the cloud is your development environment. And uh, I, I just, to me, it seems very difficult to develop in two or multi environments. Like, do you see that as something that's going to be coming more and more or will it be like application specific will be on one cloud, maybe something on another? I mean, tell me yeah. how, you, how you see the applications working in a hybrid environment. That's that's a really good question, and I, I think I think what we'll see is uh, I mean the first there's I think it's going to come in waves, right? So the first wave is uh, is is moving a portion of the workflow that people might have that is on premises into the cloud. Okay, let me back up. Like people who can build and target for the public cloud, they're already there, right? Yeah. Okay, and so there what's left, right? So there's these data intensive workloads where you're generating lots of data, and that's in a whole host of imagery, industries from uh, you know, sort of video, surveillance, uh, um, life science. There's like a ton, of, a ton of categories where you're still generating a lot of data. And what we'll, I think, what we're, at least what we're seeing is you'll see point solutions. Like, OK, I have this workflow. It's on premise. I'm going to take this one part of the workload that really could be advantageous to be in the public cloud, and I'm going to carve that out. 
So for example, like we're working with a, with a pharmaceutical company and what they're doing is uh, uh, compound discovery. So they can find new drugs and they have this expensive microscopy equipment and they're doing a lot of these digital images and they need to do data processing around them. Well, what they really need is they wanna do a bunch of processing all at once and then tear everything down. Okay, that's a really good use for the public cloud and you like carve out a portion for that. But over time, I think what we'll see is there's going to be unique services in different clouds that are gonna fit different parts of people's workflows that they're gonna to wanna to take advantage of. And so it'll be um, you know, not big grand sweeping overhauls of applications. So it's gonna start with, oh, I'm gonna solve this part of the problem here and this part of the problem over there. And, and that's how I think we'll see multi-cloud start to evolve. So as I listen to this, I wonder, this sounds like a terrific approach. Um, it obviously represents kind of what you guys are doing uh, at your company, what you're striving to do. Is there somebody else who's going with a radically different approach? Is there another company or another segment of the industry that's coming at it really differently that you disagree with or you just, your company has chosen not to go that path for some reason? Yeah, yeah now you can talk trash on people, Joe. We want to hear it. No, come on. Just kidding. <laughs> talk trade-offs, trade-offs, sorry. Yeah, trade-offs, trade-offs. Well, okay. <laughs> So the, one of the things that we're, uh, that we're really trying to, that, that we're, and stay tuned to this channel, we're, we're launching a file system access into the storage system. That gives people the ability to have the same type of performance and throughput that it'd expect on, on, with the object APIs, but then be able to do that with file protocols, which is a huge deal. Um, but one of the things that we are super adamant about is, keeping the data in what we call a native format. So if I put a bit of data into the system and the tool that moves anything to the public cloud, it's kept in a native format. I can just like look at it and it's the same file that I put into it. And what we see with, with some of the other solutions that move data around to the public cloud is they'll wrap it up into a, like a namespace or a, a container, if you will, or a mm. um, in a, in a proprietary format. So you must go in and out of their software to get access to the data. And we, we haven't found people want to do that. And, and, and I think it's another approach. Um, uh, and it has, there's, there's trade-offs, as you, as you say. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, in order to take, to take advantage of some of those services that are in, uh, in these public clouds, you have to have the data in a format that they expect it. I mean, it, if you go into Azure, it needs to be in the blob store. If you go into Amazon, it needs to be in S3. If you need to go into Google, it needs to be in the, um, in the, in the Google uh, Cloud Object Storage. Uh, and it needs to be represented in the format. So you can take those applications that are processing, um, uh, that, that are processing the data and they can just look at it and it's there and they don't need to go through some third-party application to go access it. I think that's really important. Excellent. Thank you for explaining that. Do you think that the people who are currently evaluating uh, cloud solutions, or, or in this case, cloud storage solutions, do you think they, they understand all these, these options that are on the table? Is there a big education push out there that needs to happen? Or, Well, I mean, I, I think that there, there, are, there are pains that people have. And what, the way we're at least we're looking at it is we're going after the people that have some of the biggest storage pain points. And, and really that's where, that's where we, we started as a company and that's where we're really focusing. Um, you know, you, you can't just go out and be a 
you know, the, the one stop shop for everybody as a, as a company. And by the way, this has been the, a lot of fun um, building out the company is being able to jump in and learn about a whole bunch of different um, type of companies and industries. And you have to focus and you have to go out and, and explain and walk through, hey, here is an alternative approach to how you're um, how you're dealing with this. And some people come to us, you know, we go to, we, you know, we go figure out and hunt down different, uh, um, in, in different industries. So, um, there is a little bit of a, of, of some education that you have to do. Um, but man, there are people in such pain around right. how to solve this. And so, so they're just hungry for solutions. You know, they're not going to, they don't want to go out and buy another, another filer and have to, deal with that whole rigmarole they want they want to come 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 up have somebody come up with a software solution that's going to going to help them uh address these needs hey valor nikki i'll let you squeeze in another question in a second but um i wanted to ask you joe how is um if at all how is ai changing you know what swift stack does and how you guys approach I mean, What's okay. Going on in the industry? Yeah. So we actually had a customer come to us that we're we're we're, we're working with right now where they want to be able to make intelligent decisions on where to place data based on what their application is doing and hints on the application because we have this we have this technology with uh, with CloudSync which does tiering and it's an automated approach and it's time based and what we're working through with them is okay how can we use hinting as part of the strategy for where data gets placed. And it's a really cool idea because what they want to do is they don't want to just dumbly move data around um, from, uh, from location to location based on um, you know, just simple rules. They want that application to be able to say, okay, um, in this case, um, it has to do with, uh, with, with images and photos. They want to have um, more hints as to, is this going to be accessed? Is this near? A holiday is this person logged in very frequently and use those as deciding points whether or not to place that data on fast you know very very quickly available storage or move it way back into the system and store it on something that you know may take a little bit longer to serve up to the user so that's how we we we're, we're thinking about using um, AI as in terms of having a strategy of where to where and how to place data that describe, is really neat. Describe the hint thing again. Like, how does what would be an example of like? Uh, uh, well, think. Do you guys use how Reddit? It, how does it work? Yeah. Okay. Do you, Reddit. Do you guys use Reddit? Like, yeah. it's basically like vote up, vote down, right? And you basically you're walking through the system, and and you provide a mechanism for people to put hints on 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 something, at, and and it will start surfacing up, and it needs to be on and keep it keep it in hot storage and as as people log off you know that time decay happens starts tapping in and if they log back in it starts bubbling it back up oh again. so based on usage yeah. yeah based on usage yeah or you can also have external factors come in as well so you can have um other other calendar events that you know might influence uh uh the access and you could pre-hint before that that calendar event i'm thinking self-driving cars like, <laughs> I'm already thinking about that. I'm like, whoa, that's pretty cool. Uh, if you have a self-driving car and it's like, you know, you're not using it on average at night, <laughs> you know, why, why oh have stuff? So I was walking to work and there was this like self-driving car parked 
like in the turn lane waiting for the perfect, I, I live in San Francisco. And so that's, there's a ton of pedestrian traffic everywhere, but there's this lineup of cars right behind the self-driving car, just all honking, honking, honking. <laughs> like, I think there's going to be this enormous pain that we're going to have to like bear with. In, so self-driving cars are too with, polite. So, they're just going to be so polite and they're not going to get through traffic. It's going to be, we're going to have this period They won't be rolling down their windows, throwing you the finger, telling you to F off. So there's that. <laughs> But they can't nudge forward and make eye contact with that pedestrian to signal, I'm coming through. Yeah, maybe this is just a San Francisco problem, so. <laughs> I wanna, just, oh, go ahead, Val. Uh, I just I just want to ask you more about this whole idea of uh, data gravity and, and multiple mm -hmm. clouds. Um, will there be, do you think people have just these different places where the data goes, or will they be replicated? Uh, how do I'm? I'm just. I just have a hard time getting my mind around the the idea of my data is in all these different clouds. Correct. Because in my mind, it's like I have an application. My application is probably running in. Let's say it's running in GCP. Then I would expect my data would be in GCP as well, and and so I would write my application wherever my data is. Well, like okay, think of think of some of the. You're absolutely correct, and most time the answer is let the data lie where it is, and. Um, uh, but like, for example, uh, during the S3 outage that happened earlier this year, um, you'd have a situation where someone had complete and total downtime if yeah. they had all their eggs in one basket. And now, do they need to replicate all their data to another site? No. They could have, say, um, if you're doing, say, document management or legal discovery or something like that, and you're building that application out, well, maybe it makes sense to have working projects that are active it replicated in 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 multiple locations for some redundancy, um, because you know that particular company had downtime, which cost them money while that outage yeah. was was happening. But yeah. they don't necessarily need to have the entire archive of everything that they've ever stored in multiple locations. They can have a policy which says. Um, you know, active projects or things that have been created within the last seven days or something along those lines, which could provide a lot of options for being able to, to move traffic around. I could see where that would be valuable for a disaster recovery scenario. Mm -hmm. um, what are your other sweet spot use cases? So speaking of disaster recovery, so I should probably give an update of some of the stuff that's new in Swift as well. Yeah, um, I'd love to hear that. Uh, so, uh, we recently launched uh, a couple of multi-region enhancements in uh, in the in the product and in Swift itself. Um, gosh, most of our customers use multi-region capability, most of them, hmm. and so uh, we have two improvements. So, for those who don't know, there's two ways of storing data. Um, one is using um, a strategy called replicas, and that is just whole copies of files. Um, the other strategy is called erasure coding, and that um, uses less space, um, but provides some similar uh, durability levels as replicas do. do. And uh, what we added was the ability to have, um, uh, with replicas, what we call deterministic placement. And now there's two strategies for, for data placement across multiple regions. One is called algorithmic, meaning we'll just take whatever capacity you can throw at the system, and we're going to spread the data far and wide to make sure that it's really well protected. Um, the other uh, strategy is called deterministic placement. And that means I can say, okay, this data center, you get two replicas. This data center, you get one replica. And 
you can just be really fine-grained about how you set that up. Um, the other option with uh, rate erasure coding is multiple uh, multiple regions with erasure coding. So now we can support having erasure code distributed across multiple regions. And we do it in such a way so that each data center has a fully recoverable uh, uh, instance of that data. And so you can lose a whole data center and you can still be able to recover data in each of the data centers. And gosh, we, we just, we, we see a ton of people using the multi-region capability um, uh, with, with our product. Wow, can you, can you go over what erasure coding is again? Yes, uh, yeah, at a high level what it is, it's, you know, like with a CD, when you, yeah. like you put a, you can take a, like a knife and you can scratch a whole a CD up. You can put it in and it'll play. Right, and the reason is is because there's error correction codes built into the CD. You don't need to get all the ones and zeros in order for the music to play back. Huh. And erasure code kind of like works really similarly. And what we do is we will encode use a sim a, a, a similar encoding strategy to um, to to write the data across the system such that you know if chunks of that thing go away, we can if there's enough parts, we can reconstruct and reassemble it. So erasure coding doesn't have all of the all of the data exactly. It's not like an exact exact copy. It, well, it, yeah, I mean it, it does it does net out to be exactly the copy. So there's this encoding strategy. To put this into into a, a different term, think about Barbara Walters and her Barbara Walters filter that they use on her. You know, uh, by, by shaking out some pixels from her Barbara Walters filter, she appears to look young and smooth and glorious. That's, they, for my, that's for my women listeners out there. I love that oh Walters filter. I wish I had it on Google Hangouts. Are you listening? <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever used Barbara Walters to explain erasure coding before. You correct me yeah. if I'm wrong. You still see you, Barbara Walters, right? I mean, it's still Barbara yeah, Walters. You have you enough do, information. But, yeah, people would be really upset if we uh, kind of smoothed over some Their of the data. data. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be that's pretty, what I thought. Pretty bad. <laughs> That'd be pretty Which bad. is why I can say it and you can't. So, <laughs> I thought of, you know, it's one of those random days. I've had a lot of coffee today. <laughs> so, Joe, it seems so. Swiss Stack. I mean, this, I'm I'm the dumb guy, so I ask dumb questions. But, I mean, you're totally in the hybrid cloud data management business. It's how where it's not just a product of you can store it on our Swiss Stack, which is here in your own data center. It's a full strategy of where. Uh, people can put data in multiple clouds. Am I close? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's what is it like. And and by the way, this isn't like so like us going, oh, hey, we should go do this thing. Man, no, we've just been working with the customers, right? And they right. have this. They have this basically cloud on premise, effectively. I mean, it is the same architecture as what was being used, you know, with at Rackspace, with you know, and 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 they're going, hey, how do we connect this up to these workflows that we're doing on? In, in the public cloud. And we've had, we have customers that say they have a petabyte on premise and they have a bunch of data that's being fed into that. And then what we do is, you know, we'll ship it off to Amazon and they'll basically extend their one petabyte deployment to a three petabyte deployment. And, you know. So when they come to you, is it usually an evolution kind of of their existing cloud? Or is it a, hey, we're jumping into the cloud, we want to involve you guys? Like, what's kind of a typical, typical engagement? Total evolutionary. It is not a transformative, hey, we're going to go, you know, build the next generation architecture for all of our applications. No, <laughs> it's like, 
oh, hey, no, we're running out of space on prem here. Or and this could be a lot better. And we want to run this job in the public cloud. Okay, great. You know, and they just uh, click the buttons and they're moving data. On a scale from one to ten, where one is like really not good or not existent, and ten is amazing. Where do most of your customers fall on the data uh, strategy scale? And what industries are doing it right? Um, is it like the smaller companies that are like crushing it and like enterprises that are struggling? Is it enterprises have a great strategy and, and startups are struggling? That's an awesome question. I, I would say it has to do with the amount of pain. And I, so, or, I mean, we've been around six years now, early in our life, we dealt with customers because they had to deal with us because their pain was so like they just had to wade through okay we have to take this on this object storage thing and because we have so much data that we're having to store we're gonna have to figure out how to change our applications and i mean it just it was god bless them like because they <laughs> i mean they really like helped us figure out who we are and as we've kind of advanced um it's been, we've been just trying to make it easier and easier and easier to adopt and consume. And, and I think, I think cloud has something to do with that, but I also think that uh, the file access has an enormous amount to do with that as well. And so we're, we've, we've rolled out a, or we are rolling out a, a file access for our, our customers so they can access the system via file system protocols, which is absolutely enormous. And what's, What's really cool is that they can use the object eyes, they use the SD API, the same data that they are accessing with the file system, same data. And what that means is you can have these projects that are going on um, where data is coming in through the object API and they're just loading it up with as fast as they can. Meanwhile, somebody can go to a workstation, open up a scientific you know, viewer, or they can open up uh, something, some media processing software, and those can talk file to the same data. And before what the state was, is they would have to change every single bit of their application before they could start using it. Mm. And that was just a lot of work. Um, so now they can go, okay, we're gonna start getting ready for the cloud. We're gonna start, we're gonna change this pain point, this little part of the workflow, this is gonna talk cloud object API, and the rest of the applications don't have to change. It's super nice for them because they don't have to make this big forklift change to their, you know, to their processes. Yeah. So maybe those customers are in less pain, but are they are they kind of sorting themselves by industry, or is it really across all verticals? Um, I would say uh, I, we focus on 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 industries and verticals because that's how that's how how uh, uh, I think you have to work. I mean, if you try to try to solve everyone's problems all at once, I think it's just too hard. Yeah. Um, so we focus on um, large enterprise where they are building, I'd say, uh, like next generation applications where they're wanting to use APIs to to build applications. Um, we're, and then we're focusing on data intensive industries. So you'll see that in, in places like life sciences, um, places like um, uh, media, We'll see that in uh, in a lot of government projects, um, uh, solutions like that. How how important is the network to what y'all do? You oh know, there's gosh. a lot of there's a lot of uh, 
there's a lot of talks about, okay, do I need like a, you know, do I need to physically, you know, be in a data center that's next to an Amazon data center? Is it a, is it a LAN? Is it a WAN? Is it a VPN? If I do VPN, what's going to happen? Like, Nikki, bring it home to Cisco. If I... <laughs> <laughs> you are. Uh, oh my gosh. Okay. So, well, we went through we went through this like the CVD process, which is Cisco validated design with the UCS hardware. And I don't think we've had a faster system that we've built. It's been. I mean, I'm, I'm serious. Um, so we are typically network bound in our applications and it has moving data and having throughput uh, is just super, super important because we're seeing customers, they want to move data, they want to move it now, they want to get there as fast as possible. So network is hugely important. And with a scale out system like this, there's just so many new opportunities to move a ton of data around. I mean, we just talked to a customer last week and they're like, oh yeah, we're loading up the cluster and we're doing you know 400 terabytes a day and it's like, yeah, wow, okay, that's what we're doing now. Um, <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's unbelievable what we're, what we're seeing, yeah. So, so getting network is super important. Um, typically, it's from the, uh, it's, it's, it's while you're doing that ingest is what, where it's super important, whether that's on a raw throughput basis or it's handling lots of simultaneous uh, requests. So we work with a number of gaming companies and we'll handle things like, uh, you know, every time, uh, a game finishes, where does that land up? And that is a lot of requests a second. So that's another aspect that we have to deal with is the through the number of uh, concurrency, how many users are on it at a given time. So that's another important factor. And then if people are moving data to the public cloud, um, we've actually been asked to implement things like throttling and time of day scaling um, because they don't necessarily want to occupy all of their upstream link to the public cloud um, while they're working on on data in the middle of the day. So yeah, you have to be cognizant of of how much network you have and what the expectations are on, on how to move it. Is there a point at which using a public cloud becomes significantly more expensive than it would be to keep your data on-prem? Yeah, but that like doesn't matter. Yeah, doesn't but that matter. doesn't matter. That, I mean, you're going to the cloud for other reasons, right? You're going right. to the cloud not because it's cheaper. If you're trying to do a cost play, Public cloud is not it. If you're trying to add flexibility to uh, to your to your workflow, that's like you know that's what you're trying to do. I mean, like speed speed and performance will net you if you're doing things right more money well, and a better experience for your users, which is well, how you grow, right? Yeah, or there's a service in in the public cloud that you just want to take advantage of, and you want to like be able even it's going to cost more money. That's fine, but I'm going to get the answer done, or I don't need to build that service myself, or I don't need to wrap up, you know, some complex process to get something done. I can just get it done, pay for it, and it's done. And that's why you'd use the public cloud. Do, do you ever have people come to you and say, hey, we want to get out of it and come back into our own? Yeah, and actually this is, this is then, this is, maybe this is another part of the journey is where, where people, maybe they, they thought that that was their only option where, okay, I got to store and keep this data in say an S3 environment, but, uh, they're using it in such a way where they're not necessarily uh, using that data all the time, or they're using it just to serve data out. And if you look at some of the like some of the big costs in going to the public cloud, data egress is super expensive. Ingest is like free, you know, have a party, like send all the data you want. <laughs> yes. And 
Well, what's so what people are doing is they're starting to reformulate their strategies around that. So if you think about it, well, how would you take advantage of that? Well, why don't you just burst your data? And so um, you might move a bunch of data into the public cloud to do some data processing, get your answer. So remember back to that example of like microscopy, where you're just doing all this, anal you're analyzing a bunch of stuff. Well, once you're done, yeah. drop all the data on the floor. You have your answer. You don't need to keep storing, yeah. storing the data there. Um, uh, so there's other advantages of leveraging the resources while not necessarily needing to pay for long-term rent on that, on that storage. For people who haven't figured this out, God bless them. <laughs> this is no, what people start to figure it out. Oh, and also, and then wait, no, not God bless them. Call Swift Stack. Yeah, well, and the other, you know, and then the other thing, like with with the cloud sync, like what we've done is we've made it so that they can have a, a like a no downtime data transition between the public cloud and on premise. Yeah. So by you know that namespace that we hook up, right? So it's this one global view of your data. We're like, okay, point your application over your Swift Stack cluster. And no data has been migrated, but everything just still works. And then we can, they can decide, hey, maybe it makes sense to migrate the data, or maybe just leave it there, because you don't want to pay the egress charges. And then new data that they want uh, can, can be stored where they want based on the policies they set up. Awesome. Brilliant. Hey, um, we're running out of time, you guys. Um, but I know there is one more thing that we wanted to talk with Joe about um, before we let him go. And that was um, open source. Obviously, uh, as a company, it's been very intimately involved with, you know, OpenStack. Um, open source is a big part of your life. Um, so I want to get your opinion on, you know, where open source is going and what are its upsides and downsides, and just what's your what's your general opinion about that? I, yeah, I mean, I, I bet you think it's dead. I think <laughs> that's your bet. Yeah, right. No, nobody's going to do open source anymore. It's so old. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, no, no. So I mean, we have this, uh, you know, part of our core belief system is that. Anything that touches your data is open source. And oh, nice shirt there. <laughs> nice shirt now. Uh, but so we have, yes, Swift is open source. We're huge contributors to that. Cloud Sync, all that cloud synchronization component, the, the, you know, the engine of that is open source. The file system that we've built, we spent multiple years now building out this file system. That's open source. Anything that touches the data is open source. And then what we've done is we've put together a product that's that makes that easy to operate, turns it into a storage system. I mean, that's like that's what that's what we do. That's what we're about as a as as a company. But I think it's important, particularly as um, uh, you know, people are interested in multi-cloud because they don't want to get locked in, and likewise, they don't want to get locked in with with any single technology choice that they make. They, you see this with things like Kubernetes and why that has really blossomed. It's really important to make sure that these projects that we use are, are fundamentally open, even if it means we're consuming a Kubernetes as a service in the public cloud, um, because that makes our life easier. Um, the, the foundations of technology are based on open source, and, and that's what we believe, and, and that's what we're committed to doing. So it's not dead. <laughs> no, it's not that. It's not, that. It's not a passing trend. Well, thanks for clarifying that, uh, Val. So, yeah. tell us how people how do people find you? How do people get Swift Stack? Uh, how can they get their hands on it? Well, and where are you going to be in the near future? You're on stage often, it seems like, or at least at public events. So, if you can throw that in there as well, um, I will be at, at the the AWS conference that's coming up. So, please hunt down Swift Stack there. Um, we are 
the, the other unique thing about our, our commercial product is that you can just, anybody can go to our website, sign up and log into and use our software without talking to anybody. Hmm. And the That's full good, thing. That's because we don't like humans. Thing. <laughs> you may get a phone call, but I mean, but yeah, anyone can come use it and try it out. And and so anyone who's evaluating uh, the storage should, should come check us out. It's at swiftstack.com, and uh, there's a trial program slash test drive. Uh, come check us out. And your Twitter account is mine is Joe Arnold. Very nice. Very simple. Well, thanks for being with us today, today, Joe. I know I've learned a lot. Uh, I'm sure Nikki and Val have as well. Oh, totally. Yeah, we, we really appreciate your time, and we um, we look forward to talking to you again because it seems like things are always changing. Uh, things are changing really, really quickly right now on the, the cloud front across the board, and certainly including storage, it sounds like. Absolutely. Thanks. Right. I really ha enjoyed ha being here, and thanks for having me on. Thank you, Joe. All right. Goodbye, everybody. See ya.